Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, uh, we may be taking the week off, but politics certainly isn't. Donald Trump is out campaigning. He's out slinging uh, attacks at Hillary and Bill Clinton. That's interesting. And it looks like he's going to do something in New Hampshire I never expected, run an actual, normal, funded, buying ads campaign. Is this is this the, the new, new Donald Trump actual presidential candidate? I mean, it's amazing how much, uh, how, how little money he's been able to spend and be a front runner. I mean, it's yet another achievement of his. You got to say he's run an extremely clever campaign. Maybe he's been lucky uh, to some degree too, both in his opponents and just just lucky in the sort of traditional sense of getting some breaks and with uh, voters kind of irrationally, a certain chunk of the Republican primary electorate, I would say slightly irrationally, perhaps. Uh, you know, falling in love with him and and um, ignoring various things he said that you think might be sort of disqualifying or almost disqualifying. But no, I mean, look, now he's picking a fight with the Clintons. That's smart, I think. Don't you think if you're a Republican primary voter and you're sort of, you know, you're kind of intrigued by Trump, but is he up to running a whole general election campaign? He's not a traditional politician. Maybe we need a Rubio or a Cruz to kind of really be the nominee. And then suddenly Trump's taking on the Clintons and pretty effectively, I've got to say, and saying something that the others don't really have the nerve to say, which is, well, who the hell is Hillary Clinton, given her defense of Bill Clinton, to lecture me about women's issues? The others haven't quite made that point, I don't believe. And he's the one who steps up and makes it. And if you're a conservative or a Republican, you think, well, that's great. It's great that someone's finally saying that. Yeah, and I think that's uh, one of the uh, lessons that the candidates could take, all the other candidates could take from Donald Trump, which is, of course you're going to get punched in the face by the media when you are critical of Democrats, because the media is Democratic-friendly, it's, it's liberal. So stand up and take your punch. Go ahead and do it. What's the problem? So what they criticize you? So what the the New York Times writes a negative editorial about you? I know that John McCain lived in fear and terror of that, but you don't have to. And pick up the lesson. I think Carla Fiorina, although she hasn't you know, uh, had the same success in getting appeal, I think she showed the same thing. Stand there, keep punching, and your punches will land because these are legitimate points to bring up, particularly given the fact that Bill Clinton stopped a sexual harassment suit from going forward by using his power as a a, uh, as a powerful political and you know guy, he uses political power to crush a uh, sexual harassment lawsuit from one of his underlings in in Arkansas. It is the classic abuse of woman political power story. Remind everybody, Hillary was on his side in that story. Yeah, now of course one could say if Donald Trump was so upset about that, why was he so thrilled to have the Clintons as guests at his wedding? Right. And what was that, 2006, 2007? Mm-hmm. Long after we knew about Bill Clinton's. Uh, uh, behavior towards uh, women, and and uh, so there's a little bit of uh, Trump deciding that this is a good time to get indignant about the Clintons when he spent an awful lot of time not being indignant about them. But again, in that respect, he's much more of a traditional politician, you might say, than the traditional politicians in the race. He's willing right. to pivot, and he doesn't get called on it. I do think his his followers, and even the media in a funny way, give him more, because he's such a sort of odd character to have in this race, he gets more latitude in a funny way that a traditional politician is just sort of picking up, you know, t- taking a totally new position on an issue like abortion or going after the Clintons who were at his wedding. I mean, that's kind of, you think that might be sort of disqualifying. And he went out of his way to invite them. It's not like they, they had to come. Well, or, remember, you know, were... he suggested that they had to be there because of his checks. He basically right. ordered them to show up. Uh, excuse me. Uh, that's a nice foundation you got there. It would be a shame if you lost $10 million, wouldn't it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it does tell you something about the Clintons as well. I, one other thing we should say here as we approach the end of the years, 
I mean, Hillary Clinton is just an extraordinarily weak, it seems to me, uh, likely nominee. You know, Bernie Sanders, who a year ago we all would have said was not a credible opponent to her, is running <clears throat> consistently in the 30s against her, ahead of her or tied with her in New Hampshire, some chance of upsetting her in Iowa. And then in the general election matchups, she's actually losing to Rubio, sort of tied with Cruz, and not much ahead of Donald Trump. That's pretty extraordinary. It is, and the new the and there's a poll a day now, and the new new poll has Trump tied with her head to head. I mean, you make a very good point that the of the many many fears about Trump, one of the fears is that it's a Goldwater esque disaster waiting to happen for the Republicans, and the other one is just gen, even if you think well it's not going to be that bad, uh, you know you have a chance to win. This should be a year, a great year for Republicans to take the White House, and you hate to lose it on an amateur politician, whether the amateur is Carly or whether the amateur is Ben Carson or Donald Trump. So showing that you can fight the Clintons and do something the other guys can't seem to do, uh, that's very helpful. Now let's go to the other end, Bill. I don't know if you've seen the ads that Jeb Bush is running attacking Donald Trump, and it shows the Trump quotes about, I watch the shows, and it shows the Trump quotes about, you know, Hillary would be a good negotiator. And you look at it and you say, Jeb, you're absolutely right. I concede every single point. And you just feel bad for Jeb at the end because you no impact whatsoever. Jeb Bush, please consider starting off 2016 by not being a candidate for president. He's also got an ad up I just was watching, actually attacking Rubio for missing votes. Hard to believe that's really an effective, um, you know, attack on him. So it's, I find it weird. I think there are plenty of things to attack Trump on. I'm not sure Bush has really picked the most effective mm-hmm. in Iowa or New Hampshire. I mean, some comment about Hillary that's sort of vague. and um, I don't know. I mean, who knows what the Jeb Super PAC is doing? Who knows what <laughs> Jeb is doing? I've sort of toyed with the notion that there's conceivably a Jeb comeback to be had, you know, if, if everyone cycles, if a lot of establishment-type voters cycle through all the other candidates, decide they're not possible and sort of land back and Jeb's laugh, but I, I guess it, it seems awfully unlikely when you look at his numbers, his favorable, unfavorable, it's just terrible, and un- other candidates have fixed their favorable, unfavorable, actually Trump, Cruz, yes. uh, others have improved their numbers among Republicans, which is interesting, it was usually political consultants say that's a tough number to change once people have an unfavorable view, but actually it turns out Republican primary voters have been pretty open-minded this cycle. Uh, the one guy who just hasn't seemed to change any numbers is Jeb Bush, so I tend to think Uh, I tend to agree that he's going nowhere. We'll know, obviously, after Iowa and New Hampshire exactly who's going nowhere. One thing, I I saw a veteran political guy, presidential guy, who's worked on a bunch of campaigns yesterday. He made the point to me that, you know, everyone's still looking at national polls. Uh, Everyone still sort of likes the idea of a lot of candidates having a shot. But in in reality, what now matters are the state-by-state results, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and then going forward. And the winnowing process really is ruthless and harsh, and there's no real evidence. People have a vague sense maybe it won't happen this year, it'll be a little different, more people can stay in, but there's not really evidence of that. And he thinks, and I guess he sort of half persuaded me, that we're probably down to four, maybe five viable candidates after Iowa, three probably, maybe four after New Hampshire uh, and South Carolina. So that the, it's this race, which now is, remains kind of in flux and who knows what could happen. It has been an amazing year. It starts to get really, um, the schedule starts to matter. The state level results start to matter. And the winnowing really starts to begin. Well, if, if people are talking about delegate counts, I think that helps keep the race more open. 
because you have the proportional handing out of delegates for the first, well, through, through March 1st. But if they're not, if they're talking about who won what state, I think you're then absolutely... Yeah, and I, I think people just do care. You, know, you win an actual vote, right. whether caucus or especially primary. That's why New Hampshire always is so important. It's really the state, you know, we all make fun of it. It's, a, it's, it's not the typical state in so many ways. And it's a small state, and it's crazy to have our system go this way. At the end of the day... There's just a lot of evidence right. that winning New Hampshire or, or running at least second in New Hampshire is very, very important. If you can't even compete there, right. this, for example, I think the problem for Cruz, who's otherwise run an excellent campaign, not otherwise, who's run an excellent campaign, uh, could easily win Iowa. I, if I were the Cruz campaign, I'd really try hard to get to second or at least third in New Hampshire. I think it's very hard to win the nomination if you're not strong enough everywhere to say, hey, I could be at the top, you know, win, place, or show. Right. You suddenly, if you and I were suddenly got a fourth in New Hampshire, it's sort of, well, I can win a state that's full of social conservatives, but I can't win a, a general election swing state that has more of the economic conservative uh, type of voters and just independent, you know, voters, um, but the kind of voters you do need to, to win a lot of states. You know, Ohio and Florida are winner take all on March 15th. So not to overthink this, but I, I, I think Cruz has a big challenge. If you think of each candidate, they all have challenges in different states as we go through the first two or three, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina. And probably that's the way to start really focusing on the campaign. If people want to go look at the polls in real clear politics, look at the state-by-state polls more than the national polls at this point. And uh, remember that Bill Clinton was the winner of New Hampshire in 1992 by coming in third. So there right. are ways. No, it just points to your point out. If you can, if you can do respectably, you can keep going. But if you really, like you said, if you're a top-tier candidate uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line, but not even on the radar north, that's that's not a great uh, ticket going forward. I want to ask you one last thing. You're talking about the media coverage of Trump and how he's, you know, I, I, I don't have gotten a pass is the right phrase, but, you know, he certainly is not being uh, treated the same way. I wonder if it's part that the media has realized that their attacks on him literally go unheard that the, 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 there is no audience for it. I thought it was interesting, Ruth Marcus's piece, where she points out that it's totally legit to bring up Bill Clinton because Hillary chose as a powerful woman to stand by this cheating guy who humiliated her for years. Uh, she starts off the column with four or five paragraphs of just nonstop invective. She calls Trump everything but a cannibal in the first four paragraphs. And I read it and I remember it had no impact on me because I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is the me. This is what you're going to say anyway. And I really think that part of what Trump has been able to do is turn the media's abandon because they've abandoned objectivity or the, the pretense of objectivity because they're so openly partisan and uh, ideological that he, a lot of the, the, the there's no powder left in their gun to take out a candidate like Trump. I totally agree. And it seems to me. The other Republican candidates, the ones who want to be anti-Trump, like Kasich or Bush, are actually they're, they're following the media exactly. kind of narrow attacks on Trump instead of actually thinking what would really disturb a conservative Republican primary voter about Trump. I would say, as a conservative Republican primary voter, I have no confidence that Donald Trump would appoint, appoint conservative Supreme Court justices. I do think Ted Cruz, I'm very confident Ted Cruz would, and I think Marco Rubio would, I think Jeb Bush probably would. Um, and you could, you know, they've got records and you could make that case. They, they participated in constitutional debates. Trump, no evidence of that. His own sister is a very liberal uh, judge uh, on an appellate court. So why don't focus on that? I mean, that's not a tough thing. Believe me, conservative voters are aware of the importance of the Supreme Court and they care a lot about the Constitution. That was one of the key Tea Party planks, right? Restoring constitutional yep. 
But the other Republican candidates, in a way, have been seduced by the media attack on Trump to just echo the media. And I agree with you. They just sound like they're echoing some other, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post. And that, that really doesn't do any good. And Trump has been brilliant in using the media as a foil and sort of using it to establish his credentials with Republican primary voters, as similarly with attacking the Republican establishment and then relishing in their, their attacks on him. And then the attack on Clinton, as we were saying earlier, that's really a clever move, I think. I mean, very, and he, he's either very, very smart about politics or, as I say, is on a lucky streak or has very good advisors hidden away. You know, another thing I was arguing with a reporter about this yesterday, I think the Trump campaign is smart about. It's a real campaign. It's not just Donald Trump winging it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get 15,000 people to come to arenas. Exactly. Uh, you do need to have a popular guy, obviously, but you also need advanced people in an organization to actually, like, you know, rent the arena and set up the event and make sure it looks good. And, and, and they have done a good job on that. You need an organization to get on the ballot in all the states. And I'm mm-hmm. told that Trump has as good a ballot access organization as really anyone he crews. Rubio Bush are the ones who really are the most professional, probably. But Trump is in that category. He's not missing, you know, states by not filing, you know, slates the way Santorum did or other sort of insurgent-type candidates. I'm told he has a good field operation, pretty good field operation, not like Cruz, but in, in Iowa and, and in other states. South Carolina, I got an email from someone working for Trump in South Carolina. I had said on TV Sunday, I think, that Trump could win South Carolina, even if he didn't win Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And this guy said, absolutely, no, he's biased. He said, absolutely, we have the best organization down here. So beneath the radar screen, Trump has built a real organization. It may not be quite as good as a couple of the others. Um, but you know what's interesting is they keep it quiet. I mean, yeah, unlike exactly. the staffs of every other candidate who love talking to the media, explaining their tactics, yeah. boasting about their field organization, how they're doing voter identification and all this stuff, Trump is very good at sort of projecting the image that, hey, it's just a one guy, you know, saying it like it is. But beneath, the, you know, the stage, he's got this huge operation going. And I give him credit for that, you know. And but it's also two reporters probably haven't looked as closely as they should have. But he's, he doesn't make it easy to look. But you get you know? a real he sense that there, that there aren't people around him who want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to talk about the process of the right. election and these other campaigns. When I saw the Ted Cruz thing about their analysis of voters, you know, and doing this psych analysis, what, uh, number one, how off-putting, and number two, why would you reveal that? Why talk about it? Just talk about the candidate and what he does. And uh, the, Trump definitely does not have uh, pro, you know, political hack spokespeople out there, as evidenced by the cringe-inducing quality of the people who speak for him on cable news regularly. <laughs> No wonder yes. Trump does all his own talking. He's much better no, than that, the people. No, that is true. Now. But you're right. I mean, that, that Cruz article is a good example. It's impressive, I guess, that they're doing all this voter profiling. But why, yeah. why talk about yeah. it? Well, the reason you talk about it is you, you're, you're a young, you know, professional, mm-hmm. and you want the professional, the political media types to, like to know it. that you're doing this, and you want to get credit for it, and, and it's good for your career. But it's not necessarily good for the guy you're working for. Uh, absolutely right. You know what, Bill? You've already done too much work for a day off, so we're going to wrap this up right here. But I do want to drag you back before New Year's Day to kind of get a uh, a uh, year-in-review podcast. Can we do that? Yeah, let's do that on Thursday. Absolutely. You'll find it right here at weeklystandard.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.